Welcome to Stay Reading, a modern take on the book club. I'm Chris Penrose. And I'm Megan Yuri Young. Today's conversation could be called our Scarborough episode, featuring Noor Khan and Naini Thiagararaja. I completely agree. And also having Sri Lankan roots, it's really inspiring to see what Naini is doing as a director, writer, producer, and actor. If you ever meet anyone from Scarborough, that's the first thing they want to tell you about themselves. Noor Khan is no exception to this, and she shows her love for the East End as an artist, a director, and a producer. As Chris is finalizing all the guests, he's like, Megan, this is going to be so Scarborough. I can hear it in the text because I'm from Scarborough. Oh, so, yeah, so I'm just like, oh, my God, this is... Wow, like, I don't even want to talk about books right now. Let's just talk about I actually it. even just... I didn't read it yet. Of I didn't read it yet. I didn't read it yet, but I just brought it because I yeah. found it. Well, we can talk about it. Yeah, Catherine Hernandez, Scarborough, because um, Noor's working on that film. Yeah. But, so. <laughs> first question, can I first ask question. it? Yeah, you ask it. <laughs> Nervous. <laughs> what kind of reader are you? Oh, man. <laughs> um, I'm just a nerd about books. I, I love, love reading. <laughs> um, I was always a, um, the strange one in my family. <laughs> I go to birthday parties with my family and I tape books and read them on the staircases mm. or like when the aunties are like sitting and talking or even the uncles, I'd just be sitting there reading and my cousins would be so upset with me because their parents would be like, why can't you just be like her? And they're just like, you're just so weird. Why are you bringing the Babysitter's Club to like a family oh party? My, <laughs> um, my uncle also used to work for all my family members like worked in factories when they came and most for the most part and he worked at the harper collins uh, book factory mm, wow. so everything that you would call quote-unquote defective if there was like a ripped page mm-hmm. or something was like minutely wrong with it he would be able to take it home so he had this old um tv box um and he lived five floors down in our building in flamo in Flemington park and um i just like ran down the stairs and he would always like give me free books i like i was laughing see i had like five six copies of good night moon <laughs> <laughs> so um, wow dream to yeah. have someone working in a book factory yeah. i mean i i am probably 100% romanticizing that in yeah. my head but I've never thought of that and also my one of my well, high school books would be amazing. Mm-hmm. but also yeah. my high school ex went to Flemington Park or uh, lived in Flemington Park uh, I felt like yeah. I lived there yeah, so like, when my parents couldn't afford daycare anymore we used to go to the library um, yeah, yeah. so my parents would pick us up from the library mm-hmm. so after like the maybe first grade we couldn't afford subsidized daycare anymore because mm-hmm. you know like oh for working class so um, I was always at the library yeah. <laughs> Toronto Public Library is my favorite I love it so much oh, I feel like that's such a are you first gen? yeah, yeah that's yeah. such like a first gen experience because yeah. I like before migrating to Canada I migrated to a bunch of different cities and towns just like worldwide yeah um, and even like in Canada yeah. itself so the only friends I made were books yeah because um the only thing accessible at that time mm-hmm. was, um, especially when I was, like, younger, were public libraries. And that was the only thing my mom knew of, mm-hmm. like, in terms of access and community organizations. Like, she knew that, okay, maybe, like, there's not a community, like, center. But I know there has to be a library around mm-hmm. here, so let's just go to the library. Mm-hmm. So um, books were, like, the, the friends that I sustained over time. Because we didn't have, like, Facebook. We had, like, email. Mm-hmm. But even then, kids weren't on email, so... I guess, like, I had my... MSN? Sustainable yeah. MSN. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that in, like, grade six, but mm-hmm. even before that, there, yeah. you know, like, kids need need to have, like, sustaining relations, and mm-hmm. I never had that because I moved around so much, so, yeah. like, I would just read through it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was, uh, that, that was my, like, initial relationship with books, and then U of T ruined my relationship yeah. with reading. <laughs> um, yeah, I actually have not read a single book except for, like, maybe Scarborough and another, like, two since undergrad. Mm. Um, but How old are you? Or when was undergrad? Five. Um, it's been, like, two and a half years. Okay, I wouldn't be so hard on yourself. I also think it's just being <laughs> an adult. It's, like, hard. It's it's hard yeah. to oh, there's a bur- There can be a burnout. I it remember burnout, going through yeah. that um, where I was studying literature, and then my mm. double major was Latin American Caribbean studies, but mm. so much of that was also literature. And, and I got to the point where I m- physically couldn't, couldn't read. 100%. Like, because you're just so well, burned I, out in that way of you know, constantly going through text. I don't, I don't know. I must have experienced burnout myself. Um, my undergrad is so long ago, I can't really remember. But I, I remember 
a, a new level of reading, a love of reading happened because I was like mostly a fantasy sci-fi junkie. Mm. Um, still read a bunch of different books, but then um, when I studied English lit, I just felt like I was ex- I was finally forced to read different genre. Mm. Um, still not as much as I would like to, but so I have a bit of the opposite. But also I have like ten year buffer more from when I was in <laughs> undergrad, so I don't yeah. I don't mm. I don't know. So but also we didn't really touch on what kind of reader you are. Well, now, and so now that you've gone yeah. through the books as friends, mm-hmm. then kind of U of T ruined your relationship to yeah. reading, and a couple of years out, what kind of reader would you describe you yourself as? You know what? I, because my films are so based on, like, the books that I've read in my life, I definitely feel like a lot of what, what I am right now is going back to that knowledge that I mm. had, because you just, you, I don't think, like, reading a book once was mm. really, it, it, you don't really feel what it is. It, there's, it's so packed. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm the kind of reader now that goes back to old Same. stuff and oh, just yeah. like a reader. Yeah, mm-hmm. especially I I'm a nerd, so historical fiction slash just like um, anything poli sci related, which is really interesting. But just history <laughs> books are just like my go to. Mm. But going back to those and understanding like, oh, okay, so this event intersects with this event mm. in this part of the world, mm. and like, okay, this is how this plays into my life, mm. and so. Yeah, that's what that's what I do now. I'm so excited mm. for this conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, let's open up with Boris Shire. Yeah. Oh yeah. I picked what, it past. I have to, but I think I'm gonna read Boris because I think this is where this is going. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is from teaching my mother how to give birth by mm-hmm. from Warsan and I. I don't just love, I have to say, I don't just love reading her. I love hearing her read. Mm-hmm. She Absolutely. has like a voice like molasses. It's just so Absolutely. smooth. So anyway, she's wonderful. So I will not do it justice, but I will read it. Um, it's called Conversations About Home uh, at the Deportation Center. Well, I think home spat me out. The blackouts and curfews like tongue against loose tooth. God, do you know how difficult it is to talk about the day your own city dragged you by the hair, past the old prison, past the school gates, past the burning torsos erected on poles like flags? When I meet others like me, I recognize the longing, the missing, the memory of ash on their faces. No one leaves home unless home is the mouth of a shark. I've been carrying the old anthem in my mouth for so long there's no space for another song, another tongue, or another language. I know a shame that shrouds totally engulfs. I tore up and ate my own passport in an airport hotel. I'm bloated with language I can't afford to forget. Mm. Mm, That's so beautiful. How does that resonate with you? Um, I mean, my parents were refugees. They're Tamil from Sri Lanka. Um... Uh, all of my family left and also had the privilege to leave so there's uh, there's this constant conversation between who got to leave and who's still there and who left earlier and who left later but um, my dad you know my dad ripped up his pa- my parents ripped up their passports right in the airplane um, we put a scene about that in our in the film for this place because um, they were told by the smugglers that they paid to to get here to rip up their passports they had no documentation um, so aside from their ID cards which are very um, troubled history in Sri Lanka they don't have any documentation tying them to that island um, so I mean and I've I had a lot of friends in Toronto who are Somali as well and who come from other um, displaced communities Eritrean Somali Iranian Palestinian and um, so many more and um, what War Center is writing about is reflective of um, a lot of the conversations that I've had with um, friends from those diasporas, particularly Somali. I think there's a lot of resonance between East African communities and South Asian communities in terms of family and um, the flight across. So, And to hear it, like, put in those types of words with that Oof. type of, like, it's just so powerful. Yeah. Because actually, I picked this up... Um, Oh my gosh. So I just on the note yeah, of um, Somalia, I was mm. I was at the um, Doc Institute did a screening from mm. their Doc Accelerator. So oh, it was yeah. all like first time films. Mm-hmm. Awesome. There was a film called Mogadishu yeah. and it was really um, powerful because it was all people that ha- were left in the 90s when the Civil War began. Mm. But we're of an adult generation that you just don't really hear talk about 
the description of, of that experience. Yeah. And there was this um, phrase in the doc that said, um, Juan is Wea. And it was mm. this idea of a doc, this guy who's a doctor and politician who was describing the feeling of being recognized for what he did, mm. but also being recognized in his community. Mm. And Juan is Wea is this like um, removal of recognition. Mm. So going to a place where you're not recognized anymore for what you do, but also not recognized anymore by the people around you. And I think like the just listening to Warsan or, you know, mm -hmm. the this filmmaker that made this um, doc, like bringing these stories to, mm -hmm. to light and putting into words. Yeah, and she's also you know. like, she, I think she was born there and then migrated. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. for someone like me, who's a result of my parents fleeing mm -hmm. and being born here, um, when I read po um, po uh, work or see work from those folks who are kind of like that, those 1.5ers, like, or yeah. like 0.5ers who are mm -hmm. in between, mm -hmm. um, that's kind of a tie with some, you know, between our parents' experiences, our elders' experiences, and ours if we're born and raised here. Mm -hmm. And so um, they have that experience of being bold, which I also think is why she resonates with um, lots of diasporas, mm -hmm. you know? I actually find it really interesting because I, I migrated here, so I'm first gen. Mm -hmm. Um, and for me, it's like, I can't even think about like writing about the process mm -hmm. of, of like migrating here because it's still so packed with trauma. Um, and it's also not, um, my cousins are actually second gen, so they're born here. Mm -hmm. And I feel like constantly I'm convinced that I'm born here because everyone around me also is. Mm. So there's this process of like forgetting and then also just like not wanting to remember, um, like force being forced to forget, but like not wanting to remember. Um, and so when I read the, this literature, it's 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 just, it's so packed, and I'm just like, I like I ask like, what brought them to you know, wanting to write about this? Like, what is going on? Because like everyone's experience is so different mm -hmm. when looking back at that history mm -hmm. and that experience. Um, but Warsan came to Scarborough. Yeah, I yeah. met her. We did a workshop yeah. with her. Yeah. <laughs> she was in my car. Wait, I dropped wait. her off. Like, wow. Maybe you were there when I was there. It was, it was, <laughs> it's quite possible. It's quite possible. Yeah. And I was one at Ryerson. She, she was incredible. Okay. And we she just talked a, about... Did you like not let anyone sit in that passenger seat for like a week after that? <laughs> she or? went just in the back. Her friend was in the passenger oh. seat. No. We talked about... We both have, had long distance... <laughs> Relationships, situationships, whatever you want to call it. But we were talking about <laughs> how Skype is actually a medium for having conversations well, with people yeah. that, yeah. Anyways, that's a whole different podcast. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's where we went. Not this. <laughs> well, where, so you said you moved around a lot. Mm -hmm. So where would you say, do would you say Scarborough, Toronto, Canada is home? Or, oh, yeah. And but then what is your journey that made you? Um, well, my, so my uh, grandmother actually migrated here to well to, to Scarborough in specific mm -hmm. um, before my mom even did because okay. my mom got married and then um, my dad and mom went on a migration pattern. <laughs> they went to first went to Nigeria and then went to the UK and then went to Saudi Arabia and then like went different. I was born in Saudi Arabia. Okay. My brother's born in the UK and then after that we like moved to the UK for a bit and then moved to Canada from Whitby, Ontario, Scarborough, wow. Richmond Hill, like. All over. Yeah, so it was just a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, we were just talking about in the last conversation as well, or one of our previous conversations, how um, art is a way to not necessarily, it, it is a way to heal, but it's also just a way to process. But well, yeah, to make sense of what your experiences yeah. are. It was, yeah, we're talking mm -hmm. about um, when you get to a certain point in, mm -hmm. of skill in your craft mm -hmm. that you can go back mm -hmm. now and use that craft that you've developed mm -hmm. to make sense of where you've mm -hmm. come from and what your experiences are. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's not always just to tell necessarily like the point by point fact, but sometimes it's, or facts, but sometimes it's like to get at the heart of it. Totally. Which which is something that um, then speaks to other people totally. who would never have been able to articulate mm -hmm. it that way mm -hmm. because they haven't, um, say, developed in that particular craft mm -hmm. in the same way. And mm -hmm. I actually have a, um, a magazine, the latest, one of Cereal. the latest, yeah, Serial. I mean, I got it purely for the cover at this point. Ruby Core, mm -hmm. I'm a huge fan. Um, and she, uh, and in this, uh, in her article, the interview with her, there's a passage that says, Core is undoubtedly an artist built by the internet, and the media has labeled her as such. Too, true to her generation, she doesn't seem to mind. 
social media is media. The term instapoet only bothers her when it is used dismissively by certain people, mostly, according to Core, in the literary world. I think the industry has a problem with Instagram poets because we're mostly young and mostly women. I mean, what industry likes that? She sees those protecting the formal traditions of poetry as gatekeepers keen on keeping the disenfranchised out of the proverbial ivory tower. My poetry gets criticized a lot for being too accessible, she laments, which I never understood. Accessibility is such a great thing. And I think why I singled that out, and I'm so glad that I did for this conversation, is twofold. One, we're young women. <laughs> Bless Chris. Chris. <laughs> Not a good young women. <laughs> Chris has always been supportive of us. So yeah. um, you know, POC perspective. Um, I'm second generation myself. And then also this idea of accessibility and this idea of being artists or in a space of creativity where uh, we are privileged enough to and I do think it's a privilege and a luxury and maybe even our calling to a certain extent to be able to eventually or not now process what we're going through, what our parents have gone through, what our culture is going through, mm-hmm. um, and piece it down and, and make poetry out of it in various ways, not just necessarily in the written word. Mm-hmm. And then to see that, you know, you there's always, there's always criticism. There's always people who will see two sides to um, a coin. Mm-hmm. But I love this idea of accessibility, mm-hmm. too. And just, like, why would you not want to create something that someone that can resonate? And when you read that mm-hmm. po- poem yourself, just, like, um, you got something from that. And it made mm-hmm. you feel a certain mm-hmm. way, whether it's understood or well, whether it's less alone mm-hmm. um, or whatever it may mm-hmm. be. I don't want to put mm-hmm. words. But I just <laughs> loved I love this. Mm. I think it's amazing that you brought that up because, like, I often feel like, like, I recently had a feature at Nuit Blanche, but I almost feel like um, the work of, of Scarborough artists and racialized artists are so tokenized. Like, I almost feel like it's not a big deal that I was featured at Nuit Blanche really? because, like, I was done a favor by the city because oh. I had this perspective and experience. Yeah, I was in it a few years ago and I felt the same way. Yeah. I didn't feel like we got like support for traffic and things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. And I think they, I have a feeling they picked based on certain things, yeah. you know. I like, yeah. love the people that work for the yeah. city. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal. Yeah, the like, people I interacted yeah. with were great. Totally, but... like shout out to them. But I just feel like the overarching perspective is like, um, I almost feel like I'm not a legitimate artist because I'm tokenized and that's exactly the the mode about um instapoet is like you know maybe like instapoets people that started with instagram don't feel like they're legitimate poets because um they're only able to enter through you know a um unofficial Mm -hmm. quote-unquote unofficial like medium or informal yeah yeah. platform and that's exactly how I feel I just Mm. feel like it's where you navigate from or enter from I will say on one point and I Feel like Chris has a really great observation as well okay. but one point too is it at the end of the day it is what you make it to be mm-hmm. and the way you interpret something and it could be a hundred percent correct but first of all you were given a platform whereas others haven't mm-hmm. you have been given a space do with it and embrace it as big as much as you can because even if it is coming from a tokenized uh place like or mm-hmm. why you were granted that well, who cares? Yeah. Be yeah. tokenized right now. That's what we are. That's what we're in the space of growth and um, education and and we are being given voices. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the biggest mm-hmm. thing. But and I want to challenge the idea of being given voices. Like, it's true, actually. Um, yeah. Because you know what? They need us more than we need them. Oh, that's yeah. what I always 100%. say. Like, that's my motto. They need us more than we need them. Mm-hmm. So it's actually, for me, it's like... I mean, shout out to the city. Thanks for the space. We <laughs> <laughs> found ourselves right. actually through the community, but thanks for yeah. the platform. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we weren't already doing, like Rupi, like so many others, if we weren't already doing the work we were doing in community, in communion with like other artists, especially mm-hmm. other BIPOC artists, mm-hmm. um, then we wouldn't, um, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be taking up those spaces. Yeah. Um, I think there is a, 
a conversation to be had around like taking up the space mm-hmm. um just actually unearthing our own voices that's mm-hmm. what it is and mm-hmm. i think someone like her has done that i think we are trying to figure out how mm-hmm. to do that consistently mm-hmm. in our own ways um but to be honest at this point like i just feel like every time i get a grant or mm-hmm. every time someone gives us mm-hmm. a platform um even when i write grants i'm just like you need this mm-hmm. like yeah. that you have to do better mm-hmm. and we're already doing the work so you're, you can either jump on board now and even when i don't get a grant i'm like cool but in a year when when this project is done, you're going to regret it because yeah. everyone else has, but you haven't because these stories are important, right? Yeah. I think it's so important, but I also think, I think where my, where I, I guess being the devil's advocate yeah. really is, um, we're in that transitional space and life mm-hmm. is transition always. And mm-hmm. I think it's already important that like, you know, I even hate looking at ads these days and it's like a checklist of, oh yeah, they got every yeah. color of the rainbow. Yeah, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it wasn't like that mm-hmm. before. And mm-hmm. at least there is a checklist and then maybe it'll become more ingrained. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, we're living in that that yeah. time where we are being given, quote, I'm using air quotes right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, it, and it's rubbing us mm-hmm. the wrong way. But you guys are being recognized for your work yeah. on some level, which... And it's just elevating it to audiences that may not, because you're speaking to your own community. And now that's like um, giving you to a different community that will hopefully lessen this idea of like, oh, I'm giving you space. Like, you know what I mean? It's just. To that point, like we are not just artists, but in in culture, in in our culture and our society, like people are taking up space, whether it be, you know, starting your own makeup company or starting your own clothing brand or whatever. Um, We're also not playing by the rules because we're not actually also looking to the existing spaces to be the only representation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So inherently, because of our value systems and our um, our experiences, our lived experiences, we're just doing things differently by nature of being different. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's also like beautiful to see that. That shifting is like we're not waiting for I don't know L'Oreal to do something mm-hmm. like Fenty's already doing mm-hmm. it or smaller yeah. brands I'm just using big brands yeah yeah, yeah. so, so we're totally derailed the conversation <laughs> no, I, I, think, I think that like the this conversation that I had with Kay Debbie Jacobs who's a actor she's a writer okay. she's a director um, she talked about this tension between okay there are doors that are being opened and largely in publicly owned or publicly accountable institutions that were gatekeeping and keeping voices out and now there's this pressure on them to your point like Mm -hmm. they need you more Mm -hmm. than you need them Mm -hmm. they Mm -hmm. they can't keep their jobs or they can't get their um you know annual like employment review satisfactory if Mm -hmm. we don't bring more women in if we don't have more diversity Mm -hmm. in, if we don't diversify the voices if we don't bring in new young millennial audiences like Mm -hmm across these institutions they are actually under this pressure Mm -hmm. to do that so there is that reality that like um they are they need the talent and the artists and um and the voices that haven't been centered Mm -hmm. way more than those voices are needed because you know of the fact that um People are finding alternative ways, yeah. like, well, even, and they're realizing we're taking up our own spaces, yeah. right? So mm-hmm. if they don't support us, they know mm-hmm. we're already. Yeah. It's either lose us to our own spaces, our own businesses, our own communities, our own platforms, mm-hmm. or support in whatever way. And you know, and then we also have the choice whether we want to or not mm-hmm. engage with them. To go s- full circle though into more bucks, yeah, yes. yeah. and then not to <laughs> derail the yeah. yeah. like, yeah, do you have something <laughs> you'd like to share? Or, um, I actually just want to like preface it into like what um Chris was talking about about um finding knowledge of our, I guess our ancestors and mm-hmm. finding knowledge and connecting back to the homeland wherever that is um because for the longest time I was so busy being uh, like trying to settle that I didn't see the like see the point um to like go back because I was so tied to back home anyways mm-hmm. I was trying to settle to you know become more of whatever Canadian is Accl- acclimatized yeah exactly exactly so um but recently that's something that I um, have started to do, Um, but there's an article that I read. um, I'm navigating through understanding my own gender right now um, and, like, my my gender fluidity uh, pretty late in life, but... um, Nothing's ever late in life, (laughs) I'm just saying. Um, So there was an uh, an article, or it was a book that I actually read uh, in undergrad, and it was called Imperial Leather, and it was by Anne-Laura Stoller, who is a feminist geographer, um, and I remember it like it was pretty heavy and I'll I'll read something um, from that. Um, and 
And so she actually writes case studies. Um, what she did was actually write um, this entire book was looking at pre-colonial, colonial, and post-colonial gender binaries um, and how they were used in colonization. Um, so she writes, the changes in household organization, sexual division of labor, and gender-specific control of resources within it had modified and shaped how colonial appropriations of land, labor, and resources were obtained. The European culture of gender binary and the inequalities that were implicated within it were essential to the structure of colonial racism and imperial authority. Imperial authority and racial distinctions were structured in gendered terms. By looking at administrative discourse and management of European sexual activity, reproduction, and marriage as part of the process of colonial control. Categories of colonized colonizer were secured through forms of sexual control that defined domestic arrangements of Europeans and created a culture by which they defined themselves as deserving of the beneficiaries of the modernization on the back of the colonized. So there actually was, like, there were sanctions on who can marry who. Um, and the first um, colonizers that came over to, it was South America first because um, the Dutch and Portuguese were the first colonizers. Um, it was only men that were actually allowed to, as agents of empire, come oh. over. Okay. So the women were not. And it was, uh, they, the like, basically the ad- colonial, like, the governments would, um, it, they would seek out actually single males um, and the reason for that was because um, they didn't want anyone with ties to family to travel, like, mm. all across the world to colonize. And also, they realized that when um, uh, colonial men mated with um, indigenous women, they were able to settle better. Because they would actually appropriate their knowledge, indigenous knowledge, um, and use it to to colonize. Um, so there were all these, like, rules and, and sanctions, and then, like things changed over time and they realized there were too many mixed race um children that they couldn't take care of and so then they allowed you know families to come over and whatever whatever um but I just realized that the when I was looking back at um you know thinking about my gender and like why do I feel fluid um I'm Pakistani by the way so I'm I'm South Asian but from from um I don't believe in borders but Pakistan (laughs) um and um we have a third gender in Pakistan, like, officially, we do. Um, we don't, they're not treated well, but they thrive. They're existing. They're mm-hmm. amazing. Um, and I saw them around, like, all the time. We actually had one that would work, like, they worked with us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, someone who was third gender that I grew up with. Um, and I saw that in my life, and I just didn't understand where that came from, because mm-hmm. especially, like, being exposed to this, um, to two genders through, of course, like, so much colonization. Um, I just didn't understand how you could be that. And then coming to Canada, I realized there's a thing called two-spiritness. And I thought that was phenomenal Mm -hmm. because I can now relate um, that third gender back home to something that also has existed here Mm -hmm. and still exists. Um, You know what's interesting, though? I was actually on a... Uh, I moderated a panel last year uh, on gender equality and diversity, mm-hmm. and we had, I didn't curate the panel, I just moderated it, and um, Robin Whaley, who did it for U of T students, um, he brought in th- probably the most diverse panel I've ever been part of, and there was an indigenous, two-spirited mm-hmm. person, but what was interesting is it was kind of controversially put as two-spirited, knowing that he actually didn't I- identify as two-spirited, mm-hmm. because he then broke down that concept that it's actually quite a quite a new concept mm-hmm. um and then he said that it was non-binary folk and just um gender fluidity was was just as uh pushed aside and uh there was a lot of hate towards it in the mm-hmm. indigenous community mm-hmm. as much as anywhere else yeah. then they and then and I just to paraphrase a lot of it, that then this two-spiritedness was introduced, but he mm-hmm. believes, um, and I, I have to, I'll reference the name later, his name, but um, he believed that there was no work mm-hmm. done between the hatred and then this embracing of this kind of, like, godlike figure who's two-spirited because yeah. there was this, like, reverence put onto this title. Yeah. Um, and so it's so interesting even to learn that, like, to, yeah, to come really and then identify with this, term but then mm-hmm. I learned just last year that it's still rife with mm-hmm. um misunderstanding and totally. or just everyone still interprets it differently mm-hmm. 
That's, that's exactly, exactly how, how yeah. I feel with like, I mean, that's exactly the case with third gender um, folks in, in South Asia is that they're still met with um, even like, um, because there's so many different um, frameworks of, of thinking mm-hmm. and even like before European colonization, there was Islamic colonization, mm-hmm. which also had very sim- similar or Arabization would had similar mm-hmm. kinds of gender, um, you know, binaries. Um, as European colonization, and that was also before, you know, it was embedded and very, being third gender was contentious mm-hmm. even within, like, racialized people. So, I, like, it's so relatable for me. But I think what, coming back to the text, mm-hmm. is, like, if I had not been exposed to these texts, like Anne Laura Stoller's, um, I would not understand where that I could, I would, I am allowed to be anything other than mm-hmm. just male or female. Because mm-hmm. that actually is just a construct, mm-hmm. and like knowing how it serves other right, people right. or mm-hmm. the empire mm-hmm. is so yeah. yeah. And I, that's for me what stood out and what you're sharing is the way that you can read something and it can provide you with words, um, roots, mm-hmm. examples that mm-hmm. help you process mm-hmm. an experience that you just didn't have the words yeah. for. Mm-hmm. Where hundred you know. percent, I feel like in undergrad, like I become, it became, and again, it's a privilege to be in, a, you know, to in any kind of academic space you know it's not accessible um so to be in that space in reaction to it because i wasn't enjoying it again Mm -hmm. similarly Mm -hmm. um and it was went from being like growing up in a neighborhood like lemon park which is like everybody is from south asia or the caribbean or the philippines or east africa to then being in a very predominantly white space in a journalism school where people are coming from like all across canada small towns i've never heard of Mm -hmm. i'm like whoa i'm like this is not my life and like i broke my bubble right like my very specific Toronto hood bubble right and so um, I was the reaction to those um, spaces where I came to certain readings right Mm -hmm. and I have to like I think a lot of women of color might say this who are not black or indigenous but there's a lot of black feminist womanist indigenous writing that I um, was my first base of politicization right Mm like you know Audre Lorde and Mm -hmm. Bell Hooks and Mm -hmm. um, I was reading a lot of I was reading Asada Shakur's book like over and over (laughs) again Davis like um, because because I wasn't sure what the diasporic writing looked like mm-hmm. for Thamo women, not mm-hmm. that there was a lot, mm-hmm. um, or back home. And I didn't, my parents were people who didn't talk about what happened mm-hmm. back home. Um, I wasn't entire, and then I started to find other folks like Chanda Mahanti or, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, just so many Chicana writers as well, just mm-hmm. so many folks from um, different BIPOC communities. And that's what made me politicize. And and then it started to see where, oh, this is similar, but this is different. So I started mm-hmm. to understand before I had the language for it that like, oh, we have similarities here and there's solidarity here, but there's a very clear difference. Totally. And then like working on shadism, understanding, um, you know, anti-blackness and anti-indigenous mm-hmm. sentiments within other communities of color. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we have work to do. Um, but it was all through reading and it was like a reaction to like, again, once again, it's a space of safety or solace or like understanding. Mm-hmm. Growing up, it was like a fantasy escape, like reading books. But I think getting older, it was still an escape. It was an escape from like these spaces that are very still colonial. Mm-hmm. Right. They're still colonial projects. Right. Totally. Yeah. I love this idea that what I take out of this in almost all of our conversation, uh, all of the conversations of stay reading is how um, educational reading is, but on like education, not just within that structure, but like we're learning about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like we're educating through books where it's books are like mirrors. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I've, yeah, I've heard this oh. term all the time. Like people are our mirrors, yeah. but I just realized through this and and a, a few previous conversations now, books are our mirrors. It's either we, and it's beautiful and it's really beautiful to be able to find such um, profound meaning, even if you're still working through it, but to read something and be like, oh my goodness, like this could be yeah. me. Totally. For all the listeners out there, the environment we are recording in doesn't seem to be that important because you can't see the space. But to get beautiful sound, whether it's for a podcast, recording music, or even for film, TV, and advertisements, the space you're in and how it runs matters. That's why we record Stay Reading at a post office sound in Liberty Village. From the raw audio to creating a sound bed and all of the magic that happens in post, the difference can not only be heard, it can be felt. So to all the creatives out there, if you need great audio, think Post Office Sound. I'll say 
one thing, which is like yeah. kind of strange, but like ties to this, like, you know, these things that were kind of beat out of our communities through mm-hmm. colonial projects across the world, imperial projects. Like, I love Harry Potter. Like, I just love the series. Yeah. I'll reread. I'm reading oh, yeah. it. Right I, now. I, I'm about totally to rewatch all the movies too. Reread and rewatch. I, I remember. <laughs> this in addition to other things, yeah. like, um, you know, other, other, uh, other. artistic pieces through different mediums but I remember meeting Luna Lovegood in book number five Mm -hmm. where the or the phoenix and i was like oh my god that's me i'm mm-hmm. like that girl <laughs> like reading her book upside down and everyone <laughs> thinks she's aloof and she's kind of strange mm-hmm. and she wears weird earrings and all of these things and it's like you know it's like a long-haired blonde girl right and like mm-hmm. not again no similar mm-hmm. experience in that way but we're similar people and like that kind of witch i'm like i'm that kind of fairy like you yeah. know and there's ideas of like we call it witchcraft but there's other words for it right Mm -hmm. but like spiritual indigenous Mm -hmm. cultural practice and I was like Mm -hmm. oh man like it also was part of me like rediscovering those things in my heritage right in my ancestry I also actually have a question too it's I I, it's just purely curiosity but do you do you feel um so you know Luna Lovegood is blonde (laughs) white um, but yeah (laughs) And you, but you found something in her that was in you, or, yeah. or vice, or however you want to phrase it. And so, but doesn't that make you feel like you know, like there are no boundaries, there are no borders, like we are just people. And I like, I think when you think about representation, yeah. right? Like mm-hmm. a lot of times, what we would want to look at is like a line of boxes, right? Mm-hmm. Like gender, mm-hmm. race, geography, mm-hmm. but. I think representation is like more like a sphere, right? Where it's like mm-hmm. someone could be, you know, say like a Tamil woman who's in, you know, the film industry, but yeah. they work, they've worked for a institution for like 40 years. Yeah. And so your experience where you can relate to certain aspects of what she's saying, but then there might be someone who's, you know, like a white teenager from rural the Netherlands, yeah. but how he's gone into filmmaking and kind of where he's at in his career and some of the things he had to do as he talks about that. It's like, oh, I relate to that part mm-hmm. of your yeah. experience. I think and, there's, there's, you know? there's representation specificity, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I would say, like, in film, the more specific I can be about my story, I think the more it will resonate with people. It can be so specific mm-hmm. to a particular Tamil experience because my experience is different than my cousin or my brother, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. But it can be so specific that the emotions and what they're going through even if you may not exactly understand that experience, you can relate to in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, like, again, going back to, like, even growing up, like, when we would watch TV with my parents, um, like, we watched a lot of black American television because that was the only thing at the time mm-hmm. that, like, my parents were like, this is kind of, not mm-hmm. us, but kind of. And, like, mm-hmm. there was just a culture, like, and again, very different, not saying that they're the same or, like, trying to yeah. compound them, but, like, we had a we had representation in a particular way that has given way for what's come now, yeah. right? Uh, that's an uh, interesting segue. I've brought a few <laughs> things, but so um, mm-hmm. Jean-Michael Basquiat had a, there was an installation of his work in mm-hmm. at the Art Did Gallery you know? in Toronto, Ontario. Yeah, now's the time is what it was called. Mm-hmm. And there's a forward in this book that I have that, well, all of the pieces from that particular show yeah. are, are in here. It, yeah. And uh, it really had an impression on Like I could... I literally remember like piece by piece where things were like mm-hmm. photographically like yeah, laid out. Um, but Magdalene um, Asimakis um, was curator with AGO, played a role in this show, wrote something interesting about how that work that's, you know, from an artist based in New York, a very different context, mm-hmm. um, spoke to Toronto. And mm-hmm. so she said, um, the issues Basquiat grappled with in his art are familiar to Torontonians today. Identity, racism, cultural history, social politics, artistic innovation. This city is as diverse and complex as Basquiat's works. The exhibition, um, Now is the Time, provides an opportunity for us to hold a mirror up to ourselves, connect with the community, and delve into conversations about our struggles, our successes, and the creativity that emerges when diverse histories and people intersect. Just like the painting, now's the time this exhibition presents the complexity, sophistication, and aesthetic ingenuity that is unfailing throughout Basquiat's oeuvre, underscoring the importance of dialogue around the artistic and social issues he raised in his art. Um, and she goes on to talk a little bit about like the conversation that mm-hmm. um, it's it can allow us, enable us, or even push us to have here about Toronto. And I think like... I was just sparked about by what you were saying, you know, where 
your parents are looking at black American television and saying, based off of what's out there, you know, what that is as close to our experience. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something similar where like what in the art canon that of a major show that um, the AGO is going to bring in actually truly represents the Mm -hmm. Toronto experience. Like, there isn't that work, Mm -hmm. but we can pull from the works that do exist to find some of those layers Mm -hmm. and themes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also the AGO and other spaces can (laughs) make more space for the art that's coming out of Toronto, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we bring a lot of work from outside that is, again, important, crucial, like, uh, you know, shows like this where we would not have had access to see this, big mm-hmm. body of work mm-hmm. by Basquiat. Mm-hmm. At the same time, there's, like, so much work being created here that's incredible, that's, like, under the surface. And I think mm-hmm. we're seeing it with what happened with Nuit Blanche and Scarborough, even just mm-hmm. having access to other... Even from Scarborough, seeing art that I've never seen from mm-hmm. Scarborough artists mm-hmm. or other artists. Um, it's just also, I think, in terms of where the city is going, there needs to be, like, a lot more space given. I'm concerned about that, yeah. too, because yeah. I think, like, when you... What, what it takes investment-wise, infrastructure-wise, and even in terms of um, how, like, gatekeepers that we have in place, how they perceive risk is, mm-hmm. is holding that back. Like, I don't see the, the type of um, investment into the mm-hmm. talent that's here and the yeah. stories that are here. It's also you know? something that, like, um, I've noticed that will post-grip because it's a double-screen installation and it shows the intersections between Parkdale and Scarborough. So I'm connecting two parts of the city. But, mm-hmm. see, I could have done that with Brixton um, in the UK and... Um, Scarborough, I could have done that with Brooklyn, Brooklyn and Scarborough. Yeah. I could have done that. I always with. wanted to do something mm. like Brooklyn yeah, and Scarborough. Me too. Let's 100%, talk about it. Yeah, let's. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, that's collaborate. Like, I call yeah. Scarborough the Brooklyn of Toronto. No, it's real. Yeah. And, but I think when you say that, what we have to be concerned about too is like, mm. well, what happened to Brooklyn? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and and what, what as the real estate of Manhattan became more and more impossible mm-hmm. to reach, mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. hub of culture that totally. was Brooklyn, yeah. then became gentrified and mm-hmm. so as that is happening in Toronto I mean yeah, and seen... even in Scarborough we shouldn't like pretend and act like it's not happening oh, no yeah, it, you can't like, like we, we wanted to live in Scarborough mm-hmm. family and, and we couldn't afford yeah. it mm-hmm. because it's like the, where the prices are at right now yeah. and they haven't even gone full into all the yeah. all the I think like the the issues that I was having was also just like traveling because like I do want to travel with postscript I do want to do more double screen installations and feature mm-hmm. other places that have connections to um, with Scarborough and do that comparative analysis. Um, but the problem is actually, as a Toronto based artist, it's hard for me to move around mm-hmm. and uh, like go mm-hmm. to, other than maybe like LA and New York, go yeah. to even like Montreal or go to, to Vancouver or go to Halifax. Like it's hard yeah. for me to actually travel and show my work. So I have this like, you know, question it's like, okay, why is it always like, LA-based artists and New York-based artists and London-based artists that get to travel and spread their the universality of their message. Mm. But I, I, we can't do that yet. We haven't, like, broken through. And we've done it in music. That's the only place yeah. that we've done yeah, it so but far. You know totally. what? This is the, and this, We're I'll close. just speak so, uh, very briefly on this, but this is the thing. We are, like, Toronto um, is, like, its own bubble and entity, mm. and I think Torontonians move like that, and I and I think a lot of the rest of Canada feels a ways towards us, rightfully so. Except when the Raptors won. Except when the Raptors won. But, um, you know, we kind of are, like, we, we're not American. We mm. are in Canada, but I think a lot of the artist relationships are with artists in the U.S. I don't know, speaking 100%. in terms of film. So when we're trying yeah. to expand, because there is a ceiling here for multiple mediums, um, we all go south of, a lot of us go south of the border. Mm-hmm. Some people go to London and Berlin now, but a lot of us go mm-hmm. south of the border. And in music, what we saw is like, when you're popular on that side of the border, then you are even more respected yeah. here. Yeah. And we mm-hmm. don't, there's that, that's a larger conversation. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why we're seeing a lot of artists yeah. leave. Yeah. And, it's, and it's because of what you totally. said. It's hard to travel across this country as yeah. an artist. Um, and it's hard to cross those borders without fully just yeah. leaving. It's very know? convenient for us to have this, like, big imperialist, um, because it's almost like imperialism of art. Like, yeah. we go across the border because they have more more than us. Yeah. And so they they suck us in. Yeah, um, That's how I see it. And it's yeah. like, what? so why can't I, you know, why can't I just go somewhere Yesterday. else? Yesterday I was reading... Um, the um, magazine Art News. Oh, yeah. There's a new mm-hmm. issue that has uh, Alicia Keys and um, 
Swiss Beats on the cover as in terms of like the institution they're building around like collecting black art and creating a space that's black owned for black art in the States. But this moment, I started like flipping through just looking at all the ads and all the shows that Mm -hmm. are coming up. So they have articles and ads about it. And I was just scanning it like city because I was like, okay, I'm looking at art news and like, what can I see that's in Mm -hmm. Toronto? Because I'm not traveling anytime soon. And it was like, it was literally to your point, New York, LA, um, London, almost all of it. Do you you think um, it can default to the fact that Toronto is still young, that we're still finding our our boys? Toronto's like a teenager, right? Yeah, (laughs) and that that it, because I mean... I'm still, I would say I'm still new in the space of like really, really diving into art from a, I would say more of a media perspective, not from a creator perspective. But I do think, again, like I I always, I always want to come to things with a little bit of, um, I don't know. Uh, not compassion, um, under, not understanding either. It's just coming from a space with like just a little bit of like less skepticism and mm-hmm. more like, okay, how do we make this work? Mm-hmm. And I do feel like, because I think we're in a space of like, we need change now. Like we recognize it, we're aware of it, mm-hmm. like it should happen, but change takes so long. Mm-hmm. And it's you got, and it's you too sitting here talking about it, actually paving the way, maybe not moving or maybe moving and then coming back. Mm-hmm. It's just, I feel like, sometimes we're so impatient, especially because our lives are so finite and we want to see mm-hmm. our art recognized or our voices recognized or our communities recognized, but realizing that it is and it will be yeah. and and you and, and we are the ones that are paving it, but maybe we won't see it in our lifetime. Yeah, we're treading water, that's for sure. Like I, someone once said to me, Elder, like sometimes you might not see in your generation, you're treading water and mm-hmm. sometimes that's enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think like, yeah, it's... I don't know if I would use patience as the word, but mm. like it's it gets tiring because you get to yeah. a place of your artistic practice where you have grown to a certain degree mm. and it's like you're in now in a context that is not allowing you to grow beyond mm. that. I yeah. I also feel like age um is so <laughs> co- like colonial. Yeah. Because I like understand that when I go to Brooklyn or when I go to like the US or where like you know certain cities it's older definitely even the in- infrastructure like mm-hmm. Philadelphia mm-hmm. has such a like a, like it's just an older city whatever but I just feel like that's very it's very dangerous to say that we're young because there has been so much indigenous mm-hmm. art yep. forever. forever right mm-hmm. and this is where actually and black the, art as well. yeah, yeah this is where like um you know like the Anishinaabe and the mm-hmm. Mississauga is like this is the, this is actually the, the bed of culture because we had um we have the lakes here yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. think it's 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 actually a colonial Colon- decision to put us back in time. Mm-hmm. The reason why we're young is actually a colonial decision. Yes, it yeah. is. So, well, that yeah. whole when we were celebrating 150th. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh my God, the 100%. conversation that came out of that and I was so educated yeah. from that. But That's why it, yeah. and for, it, like, it's like, it's not our, it's, it wasn't our decision to, um, to be a newer city. Yes. So, mm-hmm. and also th- knowing that there's so much underlying history that, that has been ignored. And for me, it's like, we could be working hard right now, but at any moment, if someone decides, we could disapparate. Like, we could 100% mm-hmm. not exist anymore. And there could be a focus on another city because some per- government person would think of fueling another another city now. And, like, there is there are, like, actual fears mm-hmm. um, that I have. But that's also why, like, I'm more focused on now becoming someone that's more, um, I hate, like someone that travels across North America mm-hmm. um, and just forgets about that that border, just like as north as possible, as south as possible, mm-hmm. and just building everywhere mm-hmm. instead yeah, of instead of confining my, myself yeah. to yeah to Toronto yeah, because I'm just across, like, even not even just here, but like. You know, because we're exposed to so many different diasporas here. Like mm-hmm. I spend, I spend time in Asia. I spend time in Africa. Mm-hmm. I spend time in the Caribbean. Like, mm-hmm. and I have community, like actual community in those places. Mm-hmm. Um, in that makes me think, makes me feel like my world is bigger. My mom says, and I'll leave mm-hmm. it with that. That she, when she came to Canada, she, ne- she, you know, you just fled. You just left, and mm-hmm. you didn't think about what was going to be there. And now, like I've been to Hargeisa in Somalia. Or I've been to, you know, Kingston mm-hmm. in Jamaica. I've been to Mumbai. Like I have friends whose families mm-hmm. are there that I met here. Yeah. And my mom's like now you have family everywhere i came mm-hmm. here leaving escaping something only to find my children now have family everywhere yeah. and that's the beauty of this city yeah and it's actually very surprising sometimes that i've like whenever i talk about my travels within canada 
it's just like so many of us have not mm-hmm. and it is because it's not it's not accessible there's so many barriers it's mm-hmm. expensive um and then yeah why not go to a new country yeah. whether that's the states or elsewhere mm-hmm. um i just wanted to say i actually haven't read this book i bought it when it first came out but i haven't well, had the time yeah, but i just want your thoughts on it because i feel like this is the perfect time even though and i know we only have like literally not even any time but what it, <laughs> everybody like, should read you, it yeah, yeah absolutely so wait what is it it's scarborough by Catherine hernandez, hernandez yeah. of, um Filipino, Filipinex yeah. um, writer, theater practitioner, movement artist, all kinds of things. Wonderful, <laughs> incredible human being and soul. And um, it's as Scarborough as it gets. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. Well, what's your favorite, like if you if something comes to mind of this book, and I'm going to ask you the same question, even if it's like a line or a word or a moment or a... I don't have a line, but I just, I, I feel like for me, the one thing that resonates is it just um, takes me back to being young in okay. Scarborough. Mm-hmm. And that, and I haven't seen that documented, what it mm-hmm. means to be young. Mm-hmm. And again, Scarborough's big. It's huge. Oh, yeah, it is. But yeah. it takes me back to being a kid in yeah. Scarborough, mm-hmm. I think, for me. Yeah. It's actually like a very painfully reminiscent book. Okay. Of, um, like, my youth in, like, elementary school mm-hmm. in, in Scarborough. I just feel like... Um, it sheds light on people's homes that I didn't understand. Like, so for example, it's about different, um, kids, it follows different kids. And, um, you know, there's a, uh, queer Filipino kid, there's, um, a white kid, there's an indigenous kid. And I remember like specifically seeing in my classroom, like class divisions and seeing like the richer white kids and like the not so rich white kids. And like, there is, you know, the, the not so rich white kid in this book and realizing that you know Catherine writes the story of, of what that person's home is like and me not knowing because I only see them yeah. in class yeah. and yeah. I, I don't know just a lot of that is just yeah. like painful because it's like wow like we all came together in this class we brought our problems with us to class yeah. because yeah. I was for I was like I was very newly immigrant it was yeah. like the, like no one wanted to be friends with me yeah. basically <laughs> now, it's be funny because now they do now now we have each other on facebook i'm actually really good friends with someone who's like back in the day like um but um it's just like it's a painful like reminder of like okay that's probably what we were going through yeah but like it was never um we never just knew or we there's no transparency that. yeah yeah i remember um learning the word diaspora later in life mm. and having grown up in scarborough i was like <laughs> That explains yeah. so much of yeah. my childhood, yeah. right? Where there was all these um, diasporas interacting mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis around, like, what music someone likes or what music you make fun of someone for. Mm-hmm. Or, like, <laughs> then there's, like, these things, small island, big island stuff yeah, in yeah, Caribbean or, like, um, Tamil and um, Sinhalese yeah, and, like, yeah. learning about these things, not because I was, like, reading it or watching mm-hmm. documentaries, mm-hmm. but because of, like, oh, this person mm-hmm. told me this side of the story and that person yeah. told me that side of the story. 100%. Yeah. You know? I mean, and also, like, just bigger diaspora things, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, East African, West African, Caribbean or Indo-Caribbean mm-hmm. and South Asian. Like, yeah. there's just so 100%. many, <laughs> so many things yeah. going on. So many. Um, but that's, you know, and, the, you know, through, again, through books, through music, through other forms of mm-hmm. the word, right? Yeah. The word in other mediums. Mm-hmm. Um that's also how we build, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. how we connect. Like, Toronto, is ver- we, we say it's very much influenced by Caribbean, specifically Jamaican culture mm-hmm. and language totally. and, and music. Mm-hmm. and um, But then also, like, you know, I like I can I can recognize a Somali song or I can yeah. recognize, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. you know, just music from different um, spaces and places. So, um, yeah, and, and through yeah, the word. Your ear, yeah. And your ear was developed in that way because yeah. of where you lived. I think for me, the Scarborough book is like, did two things for me one it was about um a lot i saw it a lot about the systems whether Mm -hmm. it's like counseling Mm -hmm. or school or social services or like police or like Mm -hmm. and and how those systems affected people's lives in scarborough but it also really the thing excited me the most about it because it was called scarborough i think i was looking for everything about yeah. Scarborough and it's, so high. Yeah. And it's <laughs> yeah. not no. but yeah. what it excited me about is like all the other stories about Scarborough yeah. that yeah. can be told and will be told in that place it's place making right like yeah. put Scarborough on a particular literary map I also right? feel like actually this is the m- most important place because Kingston Galloway is where the indigenous community has sustained itself yeah. in mm-hmm. Scarborough that is where the indigenous community actually lives yeah. and still lives yeah. um, their indigenous community house is actually on Kingston and Galloway the intersection mm-hmm. so this uh, this book takes place there and Catherine makes a 
makes an effort to always like say that this like this is Gal- this is a story of good Galloway, mm-hmm. you know, this is a story mm-hmm. of that neighborhood where indigenous indigeneity still exists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that for me is very important compared to and I, I'm not like saying that the none of us matter <laughs> as settlers. Know, I, but, but like again, I also don't care about us. Yeah. No, I know, I know. And that's what I'm so actually we're probably gonna have to close this conversation <laughs> up. Yeah. And to do that, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with we always end with a takeaway. Okay. And I'm gonna say because we have a hard yeah, so, yeah, so what is yeah. it that um, from this conversation you walk out of the room with that, yeah. will, and that I think, will stick with you? I think for me, just going off exactly what you just said and what I take away is actually your conversation, you your love of history, because I think I am very I well, I have this thing in beyond um, a previous um, guest on our show. I, she said this and I'm like, yep, this is me. I'm so present. I'm, I have the worst memory. So mm-hmm. whenever I think of issues and I think, um, and I, I think I'm very intelligent. I think I'm very, like, I think I have a great grasp of things, but I do think about it in the moment and in our, in our contemporary space. Mm-hmm. And so for you to, con- to constantly remind me about history and like, um, just history. I don't won't go into it more. That's what I'm going to take away from it. And I'm going to actually, I'm going to task myself with reading some sort of history book in the next, I'm going to say six months because I haven't done that since mm. high school. I think I've never, I haven't taken a mm. history course. I haven't even thought of picking up a history book. So that's my takeaway from this mm. conversation. Mm. Um. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I love, I love history too. Like I, I think it's really crucial to us. Um, and, understanding the present but also imagining how we move forward for me I'm very much what I'm taking away from this is like I really I've been thinking about a lot lately and I think this conversation affirmed in certain ways is to really I want to focus on like futurism like Mm. I want I really am like super tied to like reimagining and um restructuring things in my brain and through my art and through my work about what it can look like or what I would love it to look like um, and what others want it to look like. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's, you know, that's also why I love books. Like, that's why I love reading is it was fantasy for me. Mm -hmm. And that I think as, um, uh, you know, black, indigenous people of color, folks who are like, you know, um, you know, coming from lower middle class, working families, like whatever kind of marginalization or racialization you've experienced, there's there's an there's a integral need to reimagine and um, uh, seek something better and bigger. So mm-hmm. I'm really interested in the my fantasies and what yeah. my, what my fantasies can produce about um, what a better and more just world can look like for us. Yeah. So, yeah. There's seeds in fantasy and seeds in imagination. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Octavia Butler predicted fiction. all of this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, we I mean, we about talked our, about that. I bought uh, her book because yeah. I hadn't read it before. Yeah. Um, what do you take away, Noor? This is a really bad conversation. Um, I think talking about Toronto for me was really important, mm-hmm. especially after doing New Nuit Blanche. Just like yeah, and it was it was ago. beautiful. I love seeing um, that. I was I saw it in Scarborough. Um, actually, I was f- sitting there, like, looking at it, like, absorbed <laughs> when you, you bumped into you know, yeah, say yeah, hi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know you were going to be there. Um, beautiful, beautiful way of, like, showing the, the through these, like, kind of mundane moments mm-hmm. what different parts of the city that seem so far apart and different um, share. Um, and the voice and the sound over it was beautiful as well. Thank you. Um, but I think that this conversation would, would especially in regards to Toronto, to Toronto, because I've been thinking a lot of about it and just like my place in the city and like where I can, um, what I can do now in it. Um, but I think it's just even like pulling out the Basquiat and like thinking about that and think about other artists from other places mm-hmm. is really something that is helping me right mm-hmm. now understand my own place. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so like, thank you for that. That's awesome. <laughs> my takeaway is um, books as friends not being a bad thing. No. I think, no, but I think it does, like you say, oh, yeah. like, even the way you said my it, heart, like, it was like, it does have like a stigma, like, oh, well, you're like, you know, you have no friends or it's like, <laughs> there's a, a problem. And, and I can see that perspective, but I, I'm taking away like this thought as you're describing it of 
books as friends as not being a bad thing. And the people in mm-hmm. them are our friends, right? Like, you know, and as we asked Ashkur, I'm like, I'm having a conversation with her. Maybe I'll yeah. never meet her. But yeah. I like, I feel for her. I'm in solidarity with her to the end. And like, as a joke, like yeah. when Dumbledore died in Harry Potter, oh. if you haven't read Harry Potter, you don't know that. That's not my fault. So, <laughs> and he died, I cried. Oh, yeah. My no, family I had a barbecue. My dad came in. He's like, what happened? I'm like, Dumbledore died. My yeah. dad's like, I can't with you. And he walks out. Thanks for ruining Harry Potter for you. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> but also, like, just on that note, too, my first crushes were fictional um my no uh, like fully no, in love too. fully like in love cartoon characters. with like cartoon characters and book characters and um i i i don't reread necessarily to relearn or to learn mm-hmm. new things i reread because i'm visiting my friends yeah mm-hmm. to like i'm visiting it. like they're a hundred percent and that's where i think that's where why chris and i wanted to do this or we wanted to do this together is because you come from a very different space of reading i do too but my i'm just like such a nerd about reading but i'm you're making me read more things too vice versa anyhow all around thank you so much thank you for listening to stay reading and if you want to find any of the titles we discussed today or learn more about our guests you can always check at double underscore stay reading on Instagram. And wherever you listen, don't forget to rate, comment, subscribe, and share.